the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Ghost and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. Our recent shows in Magic Markets Premium have included platforms like TripAdvisor, technology businesses like Salesforce, luxury consumer brands like LVMH and Aston Martin, and even an old-school industrials group like 3M. For just 99 Rand a month and no minimum commitment, there is no better way to learn about international stocks and how to research them. Visit magic-markets.com to sign up today. Welcome to episode 134 of Magic Markets with uh, one of your hosts, the finance ghost, sounding like I'm beyond the grave here. Fortunately, the show must go on even when one of us is sick and this one of us is truly sick. Uh, Mo, I am truly sick, but I'm here anyway, so here we are. Good to have you, and uh, it's just me and you today, and I think you're going to be doing most of the talking, which you won't complain about. Normally, I have to fight you for airtime here, but today, you have a weak, weak opponent on the other side of this microphone. <laughs> ghost, it's okay. You're just being true to character here, right? you got to show people that you are a ghost. Yeah, let's do our best. We're going to talk. We generally chat quite a bit. Uh, you have a lot of value to add, so don't try and be too silent on this particular show. We're going to try and give our listeners an interesting mix this week. And what I mean when I say this is we're going to give you a mix between kind of the macro stuff that's been quite prevalent, that's led to some pretty big moves in the market over the last two weeks, and then blend that with the start of what's been the earnings season in the US so far, as well as maybe a focus on how have company results and in particular banks results gone, not just in the US, but back in South Africa as well. That's what you've got in line for the show today. So Ghost, let's kick it off. I think Mo, let's start with the macro. And you know, interest rates have been in the headlines for literally, well, the entire time after the pandemic, really. I mean, it's been an extraordinary hiking cycle in Europe, in America, and, and in many cases coming off a base of almost no rates, right? Whereas in South Africa, we understand what interest is. In certain European markets, they don't. People haven't experienced this for a long time. So, you know, rates have been incredibly prevalent, and we've seen the impact this has on equity valuations, on what happens to consumers, on how banks get a bigger piece of the economic pie. And we've covered a lot of these concepts before in magic markets, but I think a good place to start you know, would just be a little update from your side on, you know, where are we in the Fed cycle? What is the market expecting? I mean, we've got the MPC this week here in South Africa. Market, I think, is pricing in 25 basis points, as far as I know. By the time this goes out, the, the I think they're meeting on Thursday, so it'll be nearly time to find out what the answer is there. So I'll hand over to you, just an overview, I suppose, of where we are in this hiking cycle and what it all means. Yeah, indeed, Ghost. I mean, people seem to have forgotten that we've moved, in the US at least, off practically zero rates to where we are today. It's been probably the sharpest hiking cycle since the Volcker years, you will have heard that term. And that's back in the 1970s, the world went through the oil crisis that caused rampant inflation, inflation got out of control. And Volcker, who was the governor, the chair of the US Federal Reserve at the time, was behind the then sharpest hiking cycle in history. We've gone through one of those periods. Now, what's happened more recently, just over the course of the last week, in fact, we had the market hopping from one foot to the next. We've had US economic data that generally continues to look pretty decent. It's pretty good. The economy continues to truck along. You've got you know, labor markets that have remained tight. You've had incomes that have remained supported. And all of that led to a narrative. This is now going back two weeks. And the reason I highlight this is we've literally swung 180 degrees in two weeks, right? We've gone from that driving a narrative of, hey, guess what? The Fed's going to have to hike again at their next meeting now in July. And then last week, 
we had the release of US CPI, US inflation data for June. And this slowed markedly from 4% to 3%. Now that's a big move. Remember the target here is 2%. Once we get 2% inflation, the Fed can say, hey, guess what? We've done our job. Inflation has normalized back to our target range. Now that move was significantly below market expectations. And it's also the lowest reading since March, 2021. Now let's delve just a little bit deeper because there are a couple of things at play here. Sometimes I think the market gets so excited because they're trying to justify a certain narrative. Let's rewind to last year, June. That's really the important thing here. Last year, June is when US inflation peaked at 9.1%. So we've gone from 9.1% all the way down to where we are now at a 3% handle. And on that basis, it's telling us a couple of things. The first and probably the most important thing is that we have base effects that are coming through here. What I mean by base effects is that last year we had energy prices that were really high. We had food prices that were really high. But remember that inflation is a rate of change. So if the prices were really high and kind of peaked around last year this time, guess what? It stands to reason that even if it stands still, you go from a very high inflation rate to a 0% inflation rate. Now, if you unpack that, what's actually happened is we've seen a massive moderation in terms of energy price inflation, food price inflation, and this is behind this rebasing that we're seeing in terms of no, prices don't come down, but the rate of change, the rate at which they are increasing will slow down quite materially. And some people, dare I say, would go out there and say, guess what? The Fed was right. They said it was transitory. They said it was base effects. And technically, yes, but maybe just six to 12 months behind the curve. So this led to massive pressure on the US dollar. We saw US Treasury yields trading a lot lower. And let's see where the Fed goes with its meeting towards the latter part of this particular month. But we know, watch what the Fed does, because that does set the tone and the direction, not at every single meeting, but certainly in an overarching sense for other global central banks, and in particular, emerging markets like the Saab, which right now looks as though it's still on a slightly more hawkish footing. So speaking of emerging markets, well, I think the natural next question is, you know, why do emerging markets need to follow the Fed? Why does the Fed dictate the flavor of this hiking cycle and ultimately i mean even here in south africa the fed is affecting us every single day it's an excellent question it's probably the most important question and let me first start out by saying it's not as though the fed explicitly dictates what emerging markets can do it's just the market's transmission mechanism and i'm going to attempt to explain some of that now again remember these don't hold in a textbook case sometimes things change there are different market cycles, there are different risk premia that come in. But by and large, let's unpack specifically your question. The US dollar is still the global reserve currency. As a result, the cost of the dollar in terms of if you're out there, you're borrowing money, the cost of that money becomes the default global risk free rate. It's because commodities are priced in dollars. This is this entire argument. It's a whole separate show in terms of dollars reserve currency status. Let's just take that as a given. The dollar is the reserve currency. As a result, the price of the dollar sets the global risk free rate. Now, as an emerging market, and in particular, a small and open emerging market, that filters through to emerging market economies through two things. One is that 
your cost of money can't be significantly out of kilter if, for example, the cost of money in South Africa is too high relative to its global peers, money will flow into South Africa that moves the currency, the exchange rate tends to perform a little bit better. And so the implied cost, once you strip out the currency effects, etc., should result in a zero arbitrage position. So simplistically, that means that what happens globally through capital flows affects emerging markets. And that happens either through your bond market or more directly through your currency market in particular. Emerging markets have to pay attention to that and specifically to capital flows. Because if capital flows are positive into emerging markets, this generally means better currency performance. And because a lot of, not all, but a lot of emerging markets like South Africa tend to import a lot of their manufactured goods, their consumer goods, this has a direct transmission into inflation with a bit of a lag. So if your currency does badly, your inflation is higher. And if your inflation is higher, your interest rates have to be higher in order to try and bring that inflation down, either through curtailing spend, hitting consumers' pockets, or through the transmission mechanism that is the currency. So if your rates go up, again, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. I think a lot of people miss this point. If your rates in South Africa go up, it means that investors in South African debt, South African bonds can earn more and so they're incentivized to actually put capital into South Africa, and that then effectively has a positive effect on the currency, limiting the inflation. So it works on both controlling consumer appetites and spend, but then also impacting capital flows through a slightly less direct impact on inflation. So the Fed really does drive what is going on ultimately. Thanks, Ma. I thought it was a good question too. You see, when you have no voice, you have to think of good questions because I can't afford to talk for too long. The interest of fairness, I'll let you ask me one because I think uh, you wanted me to talk about local banks, right? Being South African banks and, and, and what's happening with interest rates and the impact on impairments here. Yeah, in fact, before we even go there, there's, there's an interesting dimension we want to add. I see Fitch Ratings, for example, has recently affirmed their rating of South Africa. And this ties to the capital flow point that I was making. This also ties to the soundness of the South African financial system. Now, the reason why I raised this before we even go into a discussion on the banks is that yes, the Fed does control effectively the global price of money. But the last point that we didn't really touch on is I mentioned that sometimes it doesn't behave that way. Sometimes the Saab hikes rates and guess what the Rand weakens. Why would that happen? And this goes back down to A, expectations. What is the market priced in? But B, other idiosyncratic risks that occur. And this in South Africa's case would be the risk of load shedding, political uncertainty, labor unrest, etc. You know, you can unpack that. At different times, it's some of them. At other times, it's all of them. And this changes the perception of risk around South Africa, around any emerging market, quite frankly. So that's where you get subtle dislocations. And at this point in time, the RAND really benefiting off a weak dollar, as well as let's argue a slightly more compressed risk premium simply because the market did get quite extended in terms of bearishness on overall sentiment. Now I'm going to bring it back to a question to you, Ghost, is that we've seen global banks performing reasonably well. We've also highlighted on a previous show how the South African economic cycle appears slightly disconnected or out of kilter with, let's use specifically, the US economic cycle. It's not too different to the US and Europe being slightly out of sync in terms of time as well. What does this mean? Is it means that US banks have done really well. They've gone through the stress tests. Everything's come through fine. You know, the question mark here is they're sitting on so much capital. How much of that should they actually return to their shareholders? How much should they keep back in capital buffers? We've just seen this over the course of the last week and a bit. Banks have come through. Results have been strong. 
what does the picture look like in South Africa? Simply because the economic cycle is slightly more disjointed and the perception is that the South African Reserve Bank has been, at least at the margins, a little bit more hawkish on the rates front. So South African banks are obviously a lot more traditional than the US counterparts. There's a lot of investment banking in the US, a lot of dependency on equity markets. Not true in South Africa because unfortunately our equity market is just a shadow of what there is in the US. So our banks are very much deposit taking and lending institutions in their purest form. Obviously they do have other businesses but that is their core. When interest rates are moving higher that works out really well for a while. So what ends up happening is net interest margin gets bigger and just a simple example, your current account, you don't get paid extra because rates are higher. But on your mortgage, you do pay extra. And at the end of the day, that means the bank is making a better margin off you as rates go up. However, the check and balance here is that you reach a point where rates have gone up so much that the credit loss provisions start to get higher than the benefit from an additional rates hike. It's like this natural inflection point. And after that, things get sore. So a lot of the banks locally have been kind of raising this alarm on this point. And, you know, ABSA has recently released its numbers or given an idea of guidance for the next set of detailed numbers. And it's a perfect example because pre-provision, their operating profit growth looked really good. But once you take into account credit loss ratio increases, their headline earnings per share growth is only up by single digits. Still up, which is good. And, you know, if rates don't go up too much more and they have a decent year of I think ESCOM is a big factor here. If load shedding is not too bad, and these are big, big ifs, and if rates stay relatively steady, then you'll have a sort of annualization of decent numbers. But I think rates are probably still going up more. We'll see what happens with the MPC this week. And load shedding is very much back in town. So the issue here is the banking party is somewhat over in terms of earnings growth. The sad thing is that the share prices didn't actually give investors the return that they should have gotten because sentiment around South Africa took such a nosedive this year, mainly around our relationship with Russia, but also just around load shedding. So on paper, it was a very good time to own banks. And if you had taken profit just before the sentiment shift around Russia, you actually did very well. If you held through that, not so well, unfortunately. So a real pity and a missed opportunity because in a cycle like that, you actually want to own the banks. Now you probably don't want to own the banks. If you have a look at them, they are mostly fully priced. We also had the credit executive at Capitec selling, I think it was almost 2 million bucks worth of shares in the past week. You know, that's important. You know, that credit exec is seen, shall we say, the worst of South African consumer pressures. That's the Capitec sort of lower income client base. They get hit the hardest transport inflation, food inflation, you know, and he's somewhat heading for the exit there, taking some money off the table. It tells you what might be coming. So unfortunately, Mo, pretty bearish on local banks at the moment. And the bullishness didn't pay off just because of valuation sentiment didn't work out. Very, very irritating. Another South African-owned goal. Nothing we aren't used to, sadly. Yeah, I think that's such important context because, again, I recall discussing this whole issue around let's call it non-performing loan risk at the banks as the economic slowdown kind of started to happen, I guess, more so globally. I hadn't expected this dislocation between, I guess, the South African cycle and the US cycle to the same degree. And I think that's accounted for why you had this, this recent decent performance from the bank, certainly off its lows post-pandemic, right? I think most banks have done pretty decently and it's it's called the endowment effect, right? Like the, the thing you described is it's called the endowment effect at banks and that they benefit from the higher interest rates up to a point, then it starts to bite as it affects consumers' pockets. And that's potentially what we're seeing now. As you indicate with ABSA's update, 
you know, they're making a provision for a higher credit loss ratio. It's higher than their through the cycle kind of target and where they'd like to see it. So that cyclically tells you where they expect the economy to be and what you're going to see come through in results. I was just looking at a share price chart right now on any assortment of banks. It could be ABSA, it was at Nedbank. I was at Nedbank many, many years ago. So I remember where the share price was back then. And unsurprisingly, you know, the stock had this terrible time into the pandemic, then a bounce. But if we took a five-year snapshot, a then and now, South African banks have actually not really gone anywhere. You might actually be slightly down. Or if you take into account what has been a reasonably healthy dividend backdrop, I think banks were pretty decent on the dividends down there, then yeah, maybe you're up in total return terms. But if you take that as an annualized growth rate, I would struggle to see South African banks over a five-year time period outperforming cash. You know, if you really look at it, depending on when you actually got in. And that is that is shocking because if you look at global banks, global banks have comparatively done a lot better. And if we look at, for example, Canadian banks, very similar to South Africa, oligopolistic, they've done pretty decently as well and given you the dividend underpin. My, my question to you, Ghost, is I, I like to always try and blend a macro view with a micro view. We know banks are going to potentially start underperforming or at least operationally are making provisions to do so. And again, their performance is going to be a product of the market's expectation versus what the bank's management has put out there as guidance. From a bottoms up perspective, you have great line of sight on a whole bunch of stocks because I see you go through every single sense announcement every single day. Which sectors over the next six to 12 months are showing slightly better guidance? You know, the reason I ask this is that we generally, I know South Africa's market doesn't have the same breadth as the US, but when you see financials kind of curl off, maybe you actually then move defensively into utilities. You can do that in the US. And then once the cycle turns again, you move into consumer cyclicals. I'm trying to map that to just kind of pin in my head where in the business cycle and market cycle South Africa sits right now. So if banks are going to have a tough time, which sectors do you see as having either a better time or arguably a less tough time over the next six to 12 months? Thanks for that easy question, Mo, while I'm sick. Not, it's a good question. So look, retailers, no. I mean, for the same reason, banks are struggling. Retailers are even worse in terms of consumer exposure, I would avoid personally. Look, just on the guidance point, obviously South African companies don't give guidance the way US companies do. They just don't. You know, they'll, they'll give you maybe a bit of an outlook. It'll be wishy-washy. US companies give you a proper earnings per share outlook. Sadly, we are nowhere near there in South Africa. So you kind of have to read between the lines. You know, you can't buy utilities here. We have one utility and can't keep the lights on. So that doesn't help. I think industrials, to be honest with you, would probably be the safest place to play at the moment. We've seen some pretty good numbers out of a few of them, not all of them, mind you. They can't all get the pricing increases through and get their margins up. But, you know, Bell Equipment released some pretty special numbers. We've seen some decent stuff out of the likes of Argent Industrial with an offshore strategy and Victor's doing lots offshore. I would say the industrial play is probably the pick of the litter on the JSC at the moment. But yeah, it is a little bit hard to see sector level value among JSC counters. I think you've got to dig quite deep at the moment. If you're just making broad capital allocation decisions, JSC equity is pretty hard. You've got to do some real bottom-up analysis and actually either do some pairs trading or try and pick, you know, an example in a sector where the price looks a bit disjointed 
whatever the case may be. But yeah, long answer to the question there is industrials is probably the one place, Mo, that I think is holding up in this environment. Yeah, thanks for that perspective, Ghost. I mean, it's, it's why I asked the question. Is that a clear top-down sectoral view in South Africa is really quite difficult to pin because you just don't have the number of stocks, the breadth in the market to get a, a proper handle, a proper read on it. And again, the reporting, you know, quarterly reporting structure in the US versus South Africa, fundamentally different. So you don't get the same line of sight. The other important thing I think you've raised there, Ghost, is the fact that a lot of the industrial stocks that you're mentioning, some of the good news comes from South Africa and some of the good news comes from the international operations. Now, I'm very cautious when I throw something like that out there because we've got a history of South African firms going abroad and then doing really, really poorly. And so it's nice to see the instances where South African firms go abroad and actually start doing things right. And from a bottoms up perspective, if that means it lands you in a quasi-industrials exposure from a, a macro perspective. That's something interesting. I'm going to take that away. I'm going to try and map that against my macro models to see, well, does this align with some of the other macro data that I'm seeing on South Africa, other emerging markets? Uh, but to our listeners, what do you think? You know, Have you enjoyed the show? Do you like the format? We're trying to stick to a 20-minute time frame on this. Do you like the slightly shorter format? Let us know. Hit us up on social media. It's at Magic Markets Pod on Twitter. You can also find at The Finance Ghost on Twitter and at Mohammed Nalla, or go and find us on LinkedIn. We hope you've enjoyed this. Until next week, same time, same place. And Ghost, we hope you get your voice back. Yes, that would be nice. Thanks, bye. <laughs> Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.